Welcome to the Community Feedback Loop, a weekly podcast about sharing conversations between people in gaming and esports focused on community, public relations, and how we communicate in the video game industry. I'm Bob Holtzman, the host for the show. I've worked in games since 2007 and founded Co-op Mode Communications, a consultancy that offers public relations for games as a service and the communities who support them. Follow Co-op Mode Communications on LinkedIn. You can connect with me via the links in the episode's description. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Drop a follow on Spotify. Please support the show if you like what we're doing. And on that, let's throw it to our interview. All right. This is um, a lot of fun for me today. Um, I've known this guest for some time. When we first met, uh, he was a whip smart reporter at PC Gamer. Um, I, I believe uh, Shay checked and said his first story ever written was about City of Heroes. He's now a game maker. He's currently a senior game designer on World of Warcraft at Blizzard Entertainment, which means he's a fellow Southern California here in the um, uh, you know, I'm in the South Bay and he's in, the, I would imagine, somewhere in Orange County or North San Diego County. So, Josh Augustine, it's great to have you on the Community Feedback Loop. Hey, Bob. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm super excited, too. And Northern San, Di- San Diego County, basically where all the breweries are. That's where I am. That's a good spot. You know, um, we're going to get off topic right away, but I was just <laughs> I was just down there. We took the we took the family down there. We did a day at the San Diego Zoo and, oh, yeah. you know. It's a great community. Um, I'm sure you're having a lot of fun down there. Yeah, it's been awesome. It's more fun when I can go places. Looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's coming. I, I I think you know. Hopefully, this will uh, age poorly. This part of the podcast because we'll all be outside again very shortly. Um, all right. So, Josh, we first met. I think it's great to start. I, I, such a history nerd. Um, we first met when I was working for a company called Nival. And we had a MOBA called Prime World that we were getting ready to announce. And we we got to bring you to Moscow, Russia. <laughs> um, and we I think that was like where we met. I don't think we had actually met until you landed in Moscow. Um, and here we were, two Americans of, you know, I'm a little bit older than you, but we're both old enough, I think, to remember the Cold War. And we're like, what are we doing here? <laughs> Yeah, man, that was my first and only time in Moscow, actually. And I remember I had to get like the passport all set up through like the consulate in San Francisco or whatever. And yeah, I mean, that was awesome. That was the first time we met, too. I talked with you over email, but meeting a stranger on the streets of Moscow, <laughs> it was fun times. So we got a cool day. Um, uh, Nikolai was one of the employees at Nival. He works on tabletop games. Awesome, awesome dude. Um, we we actually got to hang out a few more times. He came to Chicago once when I was living there, and we hung out. Uh, speaking of beer, another uh, another big fan of uh, beer mm-hmm. is uh, Nikolai. What what was your take on Moscow? Like, did you find it like interesting? Because I found it really interesting, and I did spend a few more times that year. I went to Moscow three times, and I would just walk around and just kind of just wander by myself. I couldn't sleep. And, uh, I found it to be an incredibly fascinating city. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you remember Nikolai took us for like a history tour through the city, yes. which was so cool. Um, cause I'm also a history nerd. Um, and, and because of just his personal experience there, he could share not just like, Oh, this important thing happened, but he could share like local stories about, Oh, this other interesting thing happened that wouldn't be in history books, but it's still interesting. 
Do you remember that was <laughs> so I tell people this story all the time. It's one of my favorite trips I did when I was a PC gamer because it was equally exciting and life threatening. Do you remember <laughs> would we uh, do our encounter with the armed guards? Do you remember I, it? You know, so I remember a lot about the day, but I, I do not remember that moment. So you're going to have to tell me my I, I must have blocked this one out. Yeah, it's probably for the best. It's burned into my brain. But all right. So Nikolai was taking us around, showing us all the different places. And at one point, he wanted to take us like through a shortcut through this area. I don't remember exactly where it was, but there were armed guards everywhere. Right. Standing guard. And so he gave us a little prep talk ahead of time. Like, all right, just follow me. Don't stop. No matter what you do, don't stop and follow me. I'm like, that's a that's a weird instruction, but okay. And so we start going and we walk right past the armed guards and they start shouting at us. And, you know, they're waving and shouting. And Nikolai puts on this fake American accent and starts saying things like, what? I don't I don't understand. I don't speak Russian. I don't understand. But he's still marching like speed walking past them. And the guard is shouting and waving the guns and pointing and shouting. He's like, I don't understand. I'm American. What does this mean? Da, da, da. And he's like motioning us. So we just book past it. And the whole time, I'm like, there's no way these guards don't just pull out their guns. Right. At some point we're marching, I assume, in this government territory, like something is going to happen. But at some point, the guards stop yelling, turn around and walk back to their post. And then Nikolai stops at that point because we're like out of range or whatever. And he's like, see, the trick is they aren't allowed to walk more than 40 feet away from their post. I don't remember what the number of feet was. And he's like, so as long as you keep going, eventually they have to stop chasing you or else they're going to get in trouble. But, and I, but the whole time I was like, we just risked our life based on that assumption that they're going to like leash back to their spawn point. <laughs> that is crazy. Was this at the Kremlin? It was close. But okay. like, again, I, I don't I don't know. I didn't know the architecture well enough to know that we if we were next to the Kremlin or at the Kremlin. Yeah. OK, because I remember being pretty scared when we went in the Kremlin, just yes. like because it was such an iconic place, you know, and it, this is where the video game industry just always like intrigues me because you get to work with. I mean, I've been incredibly fortunate. I work with a lot of international companies. I've I've been able to travel a little bit here and there, not as much as some people, but, you know, seen the Kremlin, you know, the one thing I never did is I never saw Lenin's tomb. We walked by it in the red square, Mm -hmm. but I I never saw it. Yeah. That was an interesting time because, you know, to, to pull it back to games a little bit, you were writing about MOBAs. Mm -hmm. I was new to MOBAs. I didn't, I, all I knew was that there were these guys on the QA team at Nexon and they were constantly playing heroes in new earth. And I kept watching them. I'm like, why? I don't understand what you're doing. Like I'm to this day, I'm terrible mobile player. Like, you know, would, would level in league just, just trashed here. I, (laughs) I got so much shit for it at, at riot and, and deservedly so. And, uh, you know, even the mobile ones I still struggle with, but there was this moment where we didn't know what was going to happen. League wasn't like, it was over the hump, but everyone's like, how much bigger can it get? And so here comes a game like prime world, that was, you know, trying to like do some pretty interesting things. You know, when you think back about that time, you were dialed in on MOBA, you know, and now you see where we are today, where you have, you know, massive, massive audiences for these for these games. You know, what's what's your take on this and, and where the you know, where that genre has gone? Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. Like you said, I, I still remember when Mark Merrill uh, 
president or CEO of Riot Games. I can't remember which one came. He was co-CEO. Oh, co-CEO. Thank you. He came to the PC Gamer offices to first pitch it as a preview to try and sell us on a cover story was what they wanted. Um, and so he came and he brought the preview of the game and he's like, has like artwork of Teemo, right? That was one of the first champions they're trying to sell to be like, look, it's different. It's different than Dota. Um, and so I got early uh, access for the press preview to, to like try it out and see if we wanted to do the cover story, that sort of stuff. Um, and I just got hooked hard. I was playing all day, all night, evangelizing it to the rest of the PC gamer staff. That was like my role on the staff was MOBAs and MMOs. Like the rest of the staff didn't understand them. And I was just trying to tell them how good they are all the time to the point of being annoying. (laughs) But like, like you're saying, it's, it's crazy how big it's grown now. Right. I think it's just a real testament to the fact that great games can balance complexity and accessibility really well. Uh, They took a genre like heroes, heroes of new earth was, better than dota in this regard but it's but it was still notoriously confusing challenging hard to get into and they found a way to make it accessible but without sacrificing the fun and so more people could access the fun of the genre and they were just they found that perfect balance yeah i mean it's i mean this you know we're calling this community feedback loop and you know a bit, you know, we're going to talk a lot about these games because it's such a part of their of their DNA. Um, you're working on a game with a pretty big community itself in World of Warcraft. Um, yeah. You know, you were pretty big into WoW. I remember, I think we talked about it a little bit in Moscow. And every time we've seen each other through the years, we've kind of touched on it. You know, how has working on it changed the game for you? Is it still feel the same or is there like a little bit of the, oh, I'm inside the sausage factory and 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 now I, I have to push myself to think about it in a different manner? Yeah, I love that question because that was my number one fear going into game development. Like, would it make me hate playing games eventually? And because, I mean, I was an English major. And I got burned out on books. Like to this day, I still don't really like reading because I had to read so many books all the time. Uh, and so I was, I was really worried because games have been a huge part of my life and WoW in particular, right? Um, but good news, it never happened. <laughs> like outside of my college years um, where I literally played WoW more than I slept, um, I am playing WoW now more than ever. Uh, I know what you're thinking, Bob. I can see it in your eyes looking at you. You're thinking... Well, yeah, he has to play now. Of course he's playing it now more than ever. But like, uh, you know better, right? Like, it's not my job to play the game. I don't have to play it for fun outside of that. Um, And I still am. Like, tonight I'm playing Arena with my brother. I was actually thinking, how do you do that with the kids around? (laughs) Uh, They have to go to sleep eventually, right? That is true. So they go to sleep or I put them to sleep and then I get to play. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, in your defense, I think... uh, you know, I'm not playing it right now, but I, I think I finally hit a thousand hours on a game on Steam, which is hey, a big deal for me. And, yeah. you know, pub, yeah, PUBG, um, you know, I played pretty consistently uh, and sacrificed sleep for about three years. I'm playing less of it now, but um, I, 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 I agree. Can I tell you a scary fact about my early days playing WoW? To this day, I still don't believe it myself, but I have screenshot proof, so it must be true. So when Burning Crusade came out, and I'd have to check the dates. I don't know exactly how long it was, but it's somewhere between two and three years after the first launch. Uh, I did slash played on my main character, my rogue. Um, I had more than a year played 
So that means in either the, like in the first two and a half years or something, I have to check the dates. I played the game for a year. And like, t- looking back, I still can't believe like, no, I graduated college. I got decent yeah. grades. Like, how did I do that? That is gross. I'm, I'm disgusted with past me, but it's also the only reason I got the job at PC Gamer. So I guess it worked out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. You're an English major. You're clearly obsessed with what WoW and which means you probably like a lot of other video games too, but yeah. uh, you're probably like, you know, I always think of there's like kind of, I mean, there's lots of different kinds of gamers, but I always think of like two kinds of gamers. There's the one that dabbles and loves to play all the single player games and, you know, probably has to go, you know, the old version would trade those games in a GameStop. The new version just, you know, offloads them uh, off their console or their PC. Um, and then there's the the deep divers, right? The the person that's going to say, yeah, I'm totally fine taking a year of my life to commit to this game because I love it so much and it's so much fun. I guess my question is like, when you were young and you knew you loved games and you were an English major, were you thinking, hey, I should get in this industry? Or was there something that kind of triggered that forward momentum to land you, uh, you know, the job at PC Gamer and then, you know, moving into game design? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely was pushed into it. Uh, as an English major, like you said, history minor, um, I was planning to be a teacher. I didn't really think about going into games at all. Um, I was computer science major before that, too, so I thought maybe engineering, but wasn't really thinking games. Uh, but then, I, I guess thankfully now, uh, the teacher's credential program I was in shut down mid-semester. Uh, it was like a, it was a satellite campus or something. They couldn't afford it. So they just shut it all down and said, well, you can reapply next year if you want. So I had like half a year to do nothing. And I, I was a huge, I read PC Gamer all the time. My uncle bought me my first copy when I was a kid. And I remember thinking the PC Gamer interns were so cool. Like people like Andy Salisbury got to do like cool stuff where he's like drinking energy potions and they're putting his picture in the magazine. And I was like, wow, I want to be that. So I just blind emailed them and was like, hey, I just spent, for example, the last half of the past two years playing World of Warcraft, I noticed you guys don't have an MMO person on staff. Like, can I come be your intern for a year? Um, and and got to do the interview, and they brought me on board as a dream come true. And then ever since, and then that's what got me into the games industry. And then you know from there, who who hired you? Because you know, like I I mean I still pretty I know Evan pretty well. I mean you know we're not like best buds or anything, but we've had a great relationship over the years. Like who was it that brought you on? Because you know these everyone switches jobs so much in our industry. Yeah, it was Logan Decker. Was that oh yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, and uh, Logan. Kristen Salvatore might have been editor in chief like before I joined, and I think Logan started like pretty recently, right before I got yep. there. Well, he was savvy because I remember Kristen was maybe not necessarily like opposed to MMO coverage, but you know, I, I don't know that it was as easy. And Logan was definitely more open minded about it. And now you know, guys like Evan, like they just grok it, like they just get it. Um, how? This is a question that I've had for folks like you who have transitioned from journalism, which like you said, you've been gone for 10 years now to design. What do you know now that you've been working as a game designer? You've worked for a couple different companies on a couple big games. You know, you worked on EverQuest, you worked on WoW, obviously. Um, What do you know now that you've been inside uh, the game making machine? that you wish you knew when you were covering it? Like, what is the piece of information that you didn't know then that 
you think would have helped unlock so many more stories and, you know, like really helped, you know, gamers who were reading your content better understand what you do today? Hmm. I think it's probably just how big and collaborative the game development process is. Like you only get a tiny glimpse of the process from the outside because you're interviewing creative directors, executive producers, that sort of stuff. You don't really see the whole picture, right? It's really incredible to see just like an entire team come together, united behind like a singular vision, right? And then dig through all the messy details together to make that vision happen. Like artists, designers, engineers, QA, producers, community, like everyone working together is is really just remarkable. There's so many interesting stories that could be told on that front of like how these different disciplines come together to solve problems and 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 reach, you know, conclusions. Um whereas yeah, you just like when I was asking questions, you ask questions like why did you do this? Right? But like th- there's so much more behind that development process than just, you know, Ian, for example, who's like our, our spokesperson on, on WoW, Ian didn't just sit there on a mountaintop and decide, you know, I, 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 we should do this thing. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's such a team sport making a game, right? And, it, and I think that if that's... And then when you start to think about the complexity of these teams and how many people are actually working on them, especially the bigger games. Um, I mean, when I think about my time working at Riot, and how many people worked just on League of Legends? Like, A, I didn't know all of them. And I worked there for, you know, about three years. And I worked in the League of Legends team for the, you know, for at least a, a bulk of that time. Um, it, it, yeah, it's really interesting. So, you know, you're not really like, as a game designer, obviously, you've got to listen to the community. You've got to kind of pay attention to them because... I mean, it's a live service game. I know you guys are a little bit old school, uh, but you're still patching on a pretty regular basis. Um, what's kind of your pers- what's kind of your perspective on you know working with the community now um, from where you're at and and knowing that it's not something that you necessarily do every day, but I'm sure you're kind of you know keeping an eye on it or you have a community manager that's like you know sharing updates with you. Yeah. So I think back to the stuff I learned on the press side of things, too. Um, I think it's a lot of the same insights of kind of working with the community, because um, if, you'll, if you'll allow the tangent here, uh, writing about games, it just teach, it teaches you that like game communities are complex. There's lots of different perspectives inside of them. Even, as, even taking a single game, there's lots of people playing that game for very different reasons. And they want totally different things out of that same game. And so like when you're writing about games, the first thing you have to do is broaden your focus beyond your own perspective, which is a good life lesson probably too. <laughs> but looking at a single game that like you're reviewing or previewing or something, you have to force yourself to think, yes, I like or don't like this game, but why might someone else that's totally different than me, feel differently. What do other people find fun about this game? And is there real fun here for like a significant number of gamers, more than just, you know, one person? Um, Or is the game just truly irredeemable? And (laughs) I mean, the secret is probably that no game is really 100% irredeemable, but there are games that get frighteningly close. (laughs) And all right, another, I'm doing a tangent within a tangent here with you, Bob. Those games... 
were the most fun to write reviews for. Those games that got like so close to just totally irredeemable. Because like uh, readers probably thought like, oh, you want to be reviewing the Mass Effects, you know, or, or or the Dragon Ages or those sorts of like top bill games that get the covers and stuff. Those were not the most fun. The most fun were the weird little games that were mostly awful. You know, the games that got like scores of like one or two out of ten, like because you didn't have to spend the whole review or preview just like weighing the pros and cons of like, oh, well, this is good and they're trying to accomplish this, but they don't quite achieve it here. Like, you don't have to worry about that. You just tell people about the funny, weird, really unique stuff that the game tried to do. Maybe it didn't succeed, but like it tried to do this really weird thing you never would have guessed. There's no burden. It's just like writing entertainment at that point. Those were the most fun. Well, I mean... There's a certain amount of mean spiritedness. Uh, like I want to be a little bit of a stand up shit talker um, when it comes to being a critic, right? Like that's part of the deal, isn't it? it for different people. Yes. That was, that was probably the part I enjoyed least about uh, that, that side. And it's, it's part of why I kind of moved out of journalism um, because what I loved and my passion and what I started ended up doing in kind of my free time in my podcast were like, I really liked finding you a game that you loved that you'd never heard before. Like, that was my favorite thing. Because, like, you know whether you want to play the new Mass Effect, right? Yep. I don't need to tell you whether you want to play Mass Effect. But I can tell you about this really weird game where you're, you know, I don't know, jumping on balloons and you're going to love it. You, it. It sounds awful to you when I describe it to you, but I know you well enough that I can tell you you're going to love this game. And like, that's what I loved the most. Is there anything you miss from your time as journalism? Because I mean, there's definitely, you know, I was a journalist. I just didn't cover games. I covered sports. Um, and there are certain things I miss about it. Is there anything that like that you think, oh, you know, that was a part of that job that I don't have anymore. And I, and I do miss that. Yeah. I mean, I miss. I miss seeing people, right? Like I miss seeing people like you, right? Cause I made a, t I made a ton of friends. You get to travel around meet all the developers, incredibly smart people, right? Cause like uh, there's obviously incredibly smart people at Blizzard, but it's Blizzard. So I, I interact with Blizzard people. And when I was press, I got to meet the smart, the smartest people at every game company regularly and talk with them I, and pick their brains. I I don't know that that those of us in PR are all that smart, but, but thank you. <laughs> well, I got to meet other people too, not just you. <laughs> right. You got to interview a lot of people for yeah. sure, right? I mean, and, yeah. and the creative directors and the the team leaders, you know, you talk about folks like Mark Merrill, you know, they're 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 not only smart, but they're ambitious, right? Like they're they're trying to create something out of nothing and 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 then, you know, build this community around it. You, were there any times where you saw a game and you were like either, I don't know, like you could share any emotion really, but just like where like when you thought about the game and you saw how a community coalesced around it, whether it was in a positive or a negative way, was there was there any game, you know, either now while you're just as a player, uh, you know, in a, in, a, in a member of the industry or back when you were working with PC Gamer at the start of your career, like, you know, we don't have to reserve to like 2010, you know, let's... I mean, it's 21. Let's, you know, maybe <laughs> like for me, I was really kind of uh, mystified by how everything happened with PUBG because a bunch of us at Riot were playing it when we came out. We all kind of loved it and thought, boy, this is great. And it felt like it had such massive community momentum. And then they kind of struggled to get some of the core stuff done with the game. 
and you saw the community slowly kind of just splinter off. And it's still an amazing game. It's still one of my favorite games ever. But I think there's definitely a question there. You know, did they lose a big chunk of the community? Like that for me is one that stands out. Um, you know, is there any game that stands out for you in terms of like, you know, and it could be a positive, right? Like, holy cow, they really figured out how to, you know, crush it with their community. Or maybe it's one that didn't develop a community. All right. I'm going to hold you to your offer that I can do a deep cut on this one uh, because I'm going to bring up a game that you've never heard of. You'll never play uh, because I think a very small number of people have. But it was really formative to me personally. Star Wars Combine. Um, it was it's like a text based browser game that it was like trying to sort of be an MMO, uh, but it was built by a small team. And they had promises of features coming. Combat is coming. Spaceship is coming. It just, it never really came because they couldn't, <sighs> they couldn't do it. But what they had was an IRC channel, ICQ, and a ton of role players. And it was exceptional. Oh the way gosh. they built the community because they built the whole thing. It was, it was, you could think of it almost like a precursor to like EVE Online. Uh, because you could build corporations and you could pledge allegiance to corporations and corporations could own things in the game. And so there was so much subterfuge in uh, like joining other corporations to learn about them, to get permissions to control things. And I, I wrote a couple stories in PC Gamer about it because there's just great stories of, you know, the pirate that infiltrated and stole everything from the empire, right? Because you, you had the empire, the republic, the everything in between, the trade federation, um, down to like small little religious sect groups that people invented. Wow. Uh, but everyone was in these communities telling stories in the IRC chat rooms every day. Um, it and they, they did so little to foster the community other than here's chat rooms that are officially sanctioned. Uh, here's a news channel that will post blogs to the website that players can access, but you have to travel to like a, a satellite or whatever to like have access to the news relay. And then you can post essentially official news on the site. And like just those tools were simple enough that people could make their own stories and start telling stories together. It, this feels like someone has to be replicating this on Discord, or or yeah. or, or someone's going to see it in a community pitch for me really soon. <laughs> yes, it, it's so good. I mean, the game is still around if anyone wants to join. And it's and I thought of it immediately when you were asking about community because it's the game that like I formed relationships with outside of the game. It was my first online game where I really formed relationships. I still talk with some of them uh, to this day. Uh, I was just talking with one like last week and I decided to jump back in at one point and just kind of like, Hey, how can I help out? You know, cause I, cause I, I like my friends and I want to help out. And it's just fun to bounce in from time to time. Wow. I mean, it's admittedly not a game I've played, but I mean, I kind of want to join the IRC like, which I'll get you the details. Yeah. I'll have to see if it's, uh, I wouldn't, well, they well, should have moved to discord by now. I, they probably I did. I, I would hope so. Uh, right? but I have, I'll have to check. <laughs> I mean, it is funny. Cause I always laugh. I mean, the joke among, you know, people that are, that I talk to is that discord has just, it's just an updated version of all the communication tools we've been using for the last 20 years. I mean, it's not that much different than the name. It's not that much different than IRC, but it's, it's good. Right. And it's fun. And it's, it's easy to use. And yeah, you can post, GIFs way easier. That's what more do you want? Right. Yes. It's super true. Like these tools, they change their names, but a lot, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a way to connect people. It's a way to bring them together. Um, you know, 
I'm sure in five years we'll have some new tool that will be challenging Discord for the the king of the hill, and and we'll all be jumping on that. I want to go back on the the Star Wars combines thing though, because one of the things you brought up was lore, and um, that seems like a little bit more of your day to day job these days, which makes a ton of sense. English major, writer. <laughs> really knows wow incredibly well through uh you know the the hard work you've put into the game you know where does lore sit in terms of community building and community development is it something that is like kind of part and parcel or is it tangential to say like gameplay hmm the the truest answer is probably you know it's all of that stuff contributes to community right so it's it's not any one thing um yeah, I, I mean, so I'm a, I'm a quest designer on the team, and we also have narrative designers on the team, um, and and those and the and we work together to kind of craft the lore and story on the game, um, and and yeah, I've I've really enjoyed getting my hands dirty on that side of things. You know, it, it still just kind of blows my mind that I get to make things in, in WoW. You know, Azeroth is the world I fell in love with as a gamer first, right? Uh, I RP'd on servers, built my own headcanon for my characters. I had a troll that I wanted to believe was a pirate, so he'd wear pirate hats all the time, and he he grinded the rep with the pirate faction, you know, made friendships and rivals. And now, on like a Friday afternoon, I could sit back in my chair, look at an empty gate, and this was kind of placed in like this part of Revendreth, uh, which was one of the zones I worked on recently. And I could just sit there and just decide, yeah, there should be a giant standing here. And he he likes to pick people up and throw them. And his name is going to be Stonehead and he wants to be your best friend, and eventually you're going to be able to invite him to vampire parties. And, like, I built that, and now it's just a part of the lore in the game forever. Um, and I see, and you see people on social media talking about him and kind of forming uh, excitement around their favorite characters that you get to help build, right? Um, one, of the, one of the things that just came out was, like, Mraz and Buttons, which is this little duo character that's in Torghast, which is like our, our scary, you know, dungeon crawler. Um, and people love these characters so much. Oh, and yeah. The, just seeing them get hyped about it and like seeing artists create fan art about them and just kind of get each other inspired and also inspire us with kind of the awesome things they're making. Yeah, it's really incredible. One of the things that stands out to me, and I mean, I, I, it would have been a total whiff if I hadn't asked you this question. Um, what's it like at BlizzCon? Because, you know, I've only been once and I was just blown away. I mean, I just like, what a presentation, what a, what a, just a, a triumph of, you know, really identifying what your community wants, what they expect and delivering it. I mean, I went from like watching, I think like the Overwatch World Cup eating popcorn, literally sitting in the stands, eating popcorn, watching esports event to standing in line to, you know, I think trying, um, you know, it it probably was Overwatch because like Overwatch, I I played for quite a bit uh, when it first came out. And and then I realized I wasn't very good and kind of moved on. But um, I mean, that's the story of my life with all video games. (laughs) Let's be real. (laughs) Um, I've never quite, uh, you know, conquered the hand-eye coordination of it, uh, at a, at a competitive scale, but you know, like, okay. So you probably, you know, you knew about BlizzCon, but now you've been, I mean, I know we don't have it right now, but it feels like such a focus on, well, what does our community want? And then each game kind of delivers that. And I, I mean, I know there's been 
it's like any big event. There's going to be like successes and not so great successes. But I mean, at the end of the day, for me, I just think this is an opportunity for a company and game teams to really say, we, we, we kind of get you. We, and we want to show you how we get you in a way that's like in your face. And so I imagine that's got to be a pretty surreal experience when you work on it. And then it's like, I mean, the cosplay alone, I, I, I will just go for the cosplay alone because it's just so outlandish and fantastic. It's incredible. Like we, we often talk about how it's our favorite time of the year. It rejuvenates us and gets us excited for like the whole rest of the year. Uh, it, it's like our Christmas, right? Where, you know, kids are excited about Christmas Day and we're excited about BlizzCon Day. That's what we're, we're looking forward to. Like, uh, yeah, just seeing the enthusiasm and the hype. Because, you know, just like me, there are long days in game development. And sometimes you're wondering why you're doing what you're doing, just like any other job. Um, but BlizzCon is like just in your face, the best reminder of why you're doing what you're doing and, and how it impacts people. Right. Because sometimes you can get lost in the numbers uh, of building games or trying to craft the perfect thing. But like just seeing how much people love the game that you you've had the privilege to even with a game like, wow, contribute a tiny, tiny bit to right. Like in my case, I've contributed a tiny fraction of a percentage to the game. Um, but you see how much it means to people and how much they love it. Like um, the first uh, BlizzCon I went to as a developer was when we announced Battle for Azeroth, which was our previous expansion. Uh, and we released it with this trailer or announced it with this trailer. And this trailer had two big characters shouting the big battle cries of each side of for the Alliance and for the Horde. And like the moment in the, in the hall when you're just surrounded by thousands of people and they and the character cries it out and like people in the audience shout it with them um you just get like goosebumps it, it's just it's so amazing i'm pretty sure that was the blizzcon i was at because it was like a huge battle scene right and in in yep. blizzard's like glorious cg so you're just yeah. like you're just like you're just like trying to eat it up mm-hmm. um and yeah i mean it's this dark giant convention center i mean i was literally at the edge cuz i came in late and was like, well, I better go see what this is. And then I was like, oh, snap. You know, yeah. this is <laughs> this is a, a big deal. You know, you yeah, t- and sorry, can I give one more tangent here? Yeah, no, just, go. I just love BlizzCon so much. Um, they, they have food trucks outside and they have like little beer gardens and stuff. Set Bottle up. logic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Personal favorite of the dev team. <laughs> um, it's just such a fun place to just relax. And just hang out and talk with players because you're, you're wearing your dev shirt so people know that you're a developer. So people come up and they just want to tell you stories. Everyone you talk with has a story about like their favorite part of their favorite game or their favorite memory of how they met their best friend or their now spouse and they want to tell you about it. And so you just get to hear and just... A, a very casual way, right? Because like you can read Twitter, you can read Reddit and stuff, but it, it's not the same as just like sitting down with someone and hearing what they want to tell you. Like, here's what they're most excited to tell a developer, because this is their first time getting to talk to a developer face-to-face, and here's what they think is important, and here's what they love about the game, and here's what they want to beg you to to add into the game or nerf in the game and stuff, and it's just, oh, it's so, it's so wonderful. It, you know, I was, uh, I was listening to another podcast with, I think, uh, one of the community leads at Reddit, and 
And he touched on that, that exact point, Josh, this idea that like, look, we can take the data and we can cut the data however we want. And that's really important. I think all of us in our in our roles in this industry, it's important to look at the big numbers and the big picture. But there's also incredible value in, um, I think how he put it, was kind of retaining the human element and having those one-on-one conversations and taking the time to listen to maybe small groups of people or in the case of BlizzCon, a really large group of people, but in those individual moments. Um, you know, and I think that's... That's a really strong point. And, you know, you see it with riots, esports events. Um, you know, I look back on my career when I was originally brought on to work with the Kerbal Space Program team. My, my main job was helping to try to develop a KerbalCon. And we were going to do an event and we, we basically had um, a location back out. And then we started to look at the numbers and we just said, uh, we don't think this is a good decision. I always regret it. Not that we didn't do the event because the way we were going to have to do the event would have been really tough on a very small indie studio, which is what Squad was. But um, if we had had the event, it would have been so cool because you know that was such a great example of community for me in my career when I saw how they would come together to share ideas and then they would grow. It was like, you know, it would be this, it's really an exponential curve. It's what, you know, all the big brain community people in any industry talk about, which is, you know, when you start to see this stuff snowball, it really is an avalanche. And I think BlizzCon is, you know, really kind of in the games industry, probably the the gold standard. And, and then you could probably argue riots, esports events are right there with it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just such a good opportunity to to meet the individual people, because, um, like you said, it's easy, it, we can get all sorts of data on on how people play the game and what they think and all that stuff, but but there's something special about just sitting down with something, sitting down with someone, finding out you know why are they here, w- what do they want out of not just BlizzCon, but what do they want out of the games, right? Like each of these players, ha- they're people, and right now in in, in this time of history. People have near limitless options of what they could do for entertainment. They could be out anywhere doing anything they wanted. And yet they choose to come here and play my game. Like, that's an incredible privilege. Like, they're trusting me to make that worth their time. Uh, So I want to make sure that, you know, I'm giving them the best experiences that they feel like their time playing this game was well spent. It's funny that that kind of answered a question I had. But I want to expand on it because... So, you know, working on the PR, communications, community side of things, as I have in my career, you you know, even dabbling in like the bigger marketing word, um, I've always kind of told people why I like games as a service is because that means I have the opportunity to work on a game that will stand the test of time. And I would, you know, I think at one point, this was totally public information you know, Riot was kind of say, we want to make League of Legends like a game that lasts for generations, right? Or a sport. They even said a sport, yeah. which I, I loved. You know, I loved that. I thought it was so ambitious. Um, and, you know, I think one of the things that I found interesting for you was, and you kind of talk, you know, you kind of down downplayed your role in WoW. But when you work on games like League of Legends, when you work on games like World of Warcraft, um, you know, Call of Duty, you're standing on the soldier, shoulders of giants, right? Like it's this... It's a it's a amazing honor and responsibility. It's also a burden and it's a stress inducing experience. Uh, you know, the community has high expectations. 
and you know, I think a lot of us are going to ultimately be people that have worked on these games somewhere in the middle. You know, like I can talk about how hard um, Dynamic Q was to work on on League of Legends. Like I was there in the middle of that, working on that, trying to explain to players why the team thought Dynamic Q was a good decision. And I'm sure there's decisions that you'll have to make during your time in WoW that you'll look back and go, yeah, maybe maybe we shouldn't have done that. Um, you know, like, do do you see you know, that with, you know, this shift in games from where they used to be these kind of box products that were like one and done. And then maybe you'd work on a sequel to now where we're talking about like, I mean, I think of World of Warcraft, like I think of Mickey Mouse. It is something that will just exist and grow. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I have a question, but <laughs> no, no, I, I'm, I'm totally with you there, especially on like standing on the shoulders of giants. Like that was the biggest thing for me coming to WoW was, you know, there are people who made this game and they're right here. Like I can talk with them. Um, like Jeff Kaplan is, uh, he's, he's over on Overwatch now. Um, but like I can still bump into him from time to time. And he worked on the original game. Like he, and he can, and he'll share stories about like why they made these decisions or what they're going for and, and the process of how he made these things. Um, it, it was probably the most intimidating part of joining Blizzard because um, everyone has, you know, the, the, the um, imposter syndrome, like the fear of being inadequate. But joining a team like World of Warcraft uh, at a company like Blizzard, it's just it's tripled. Um, and so I spent the whole first year like expecting to get fired <laughs> because I'm not Jeff Kaplan. Right. I'm not Ian Hazekostas. I'm not I'm not these people that I've seen talk about these games in such brilliant ways that I know of like, oh, well, you know, or like Chris Metzen. Right. Oh, this guy just dreamed up Azeroth. Well, I'm never going to do that. Like, why am I here? <laughs> um, but over time, like I have realized how much more of a strength that is than like. And it gives me comfort rather than anxiety at this point. And it's the number one reason now that I tell people who are thinking about applying, you know, this is the reason you should come here. Because like, I've never worked with so many smart people. They're, I'm surrounded by giants. And I feel like a tiny little dwarf, you know, around them. Um, and it's not just that they're smart, right? Because I've worked with plenty of smart people at, ton, at plenty of companies before. But they're like universally kind, patient, and helpful. Right, which, which is rare to have like the, the whole combination, like they want to help you learn and grow. Like that's one of the principles of the company, learn and grow. It's like the, one of our principles on the company. It's like on the little orc statue in our courtyard. Um, uh, but just I've learned not just like how to make good games, but like how to be a good teammate, how to be a good collaborator. You know, how can I make everyone around me better? And that's the stuff that I've learned. Th that's what I see in the giants now. Like. Uh, sure, if, if you built a zone that I loved back in original classic, that's fine. That's cool, right? But like, that doesn't make you a giant, I think. It's the stuff where, oh, all right, can I share another tangent? I'm going on it. <laughs> you can't stop me, Bob. All right, so early on when I joined the team, I was, I was feeling really inadequate. And I'd come from another team that was not as collaborative and helpful as, as Blizzard was. Um, so like, I was really stuck on a problem. Um, I don't, I don't remember what it was now, um, but I asked for help. And one of our seniors came over and helped me investigate the problem, you know, stood at my desk, talked me through the problem, talked about some design philosophies, how we might tackle it. Should we tackle it this way? Oh, this has this pro and con, this way, other one, you know, help me implement it and troubleshoot it because there were problems. And during that, I just kept waiting for him to say he was busy. 
and he had to leave, right? Because he was a senior. He had some, I'm, I, this person had made wonderful things, so I'm sure they were working on some other wonderful thing. But he stayed at my desk for over an hour. Like, whatever he had to do today, he just put aside and helped me work through it. And at one point during that conversation, I realized, I was like, man, if I was him, I would have left 30 minutes ago. Like, I, I would be annoyed with me at this point. Um, but he stuck around. And that's when I realized, like, oh, I have a lot to learn here. Like, not just, like, how to make great games, but how to be a good teammate and help other people. Like, that, that, those are the giants that I've learned from. And that's what makes Blizzard special, right? Like, it's incredibly smart people that help elevate everyone around them. So everyone is getting better together. And that's what makes, you know, the team, like, wow, so, so, so incredible. One of the things that's, that, that I have to ask on that is, um, you know, you see it, we see a lot of game companies not only trying to understand how to work together better internally, but also with their community. You know, what, what have you learned about, you know, leveraging the community feedback loop for wow? Um, or, you know, do you feel more confident with it? Uh, for a game like WoW, because the community is just so passionate, you know, I mean, as compared to maybe some of the other titles you've worked on earlier in your career. Hmm. So the the games I worked on before WoW uh, was EverQuest, um, which was the primary one before WoW. And that community was just as passionate. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah they're, um, I've had I've I've had the good luck of working on games that all have very passionate communities. Um, so I don't know, it's probably pretty similar to kind of what we talked about earlier. I mean, uh, human beings <laughs> throughout history have just been incredibly diverse, complex, <laughs> and famously hard to please. <laughs> and, and gaming communities are no different, right? Um, I, I love getting True. to know them. Why are they here? What do they want out of the game? How can I help them, um, enjoy the game, right? Because... I, I guess maybe one difference with the WoW community compared to some previous ones is there's a lot more subculture, maybe isn't the wrong word, but there's a lot of different cultures, right, in, inside the community. Or maybe I'm just more aware of it now than I was at EverQuest, because EverQuest was my first development project. That could be it. <laughs> that might be more on me. Um, maybe I maybe I understand the WoW community better because I've been a part of it for so long. So I can see those subcultures a little better. That year of your life in college clearly paid off. It did. It's man. Yeah. I joke with my mom from time to time about that. <laughs> Just like about how like, yep, it all paid off. Like the college degree was fine, but it was that it's playing she, wow. She, she, really was, got me the job. She, she probably sits there and thinks, so I was paying, paying blizzard and paying for college at the same time. Oh, she wasn't paid for it. I was paid for both of those. Oh, good. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, so self-made man. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Um, well, self-indebted man. Yes. <laughs> Well, hopefully you've paid off the student loans by now, Josh. I have. It was a great day when I finally paid off the last one. It was a good feeling. It's always good when risks pay off, right? Um, yeah. Okay. So I have like one kind of one last question. Um, yeah. It's just kind of a general one, just kind of fun. Like what? what's your favorite game community right now, not including the game community you work with? That is a good question. So I've really been enjoying... Um, the speedrunning community lately. Uh, so it's not a single game, but it, it's just so fascinating to me. Uh, I can't remember the Twitter account, but there's a Twitter account that's like a bot that basically reports whenever a new speedrun is recorded, like a new record is recorded on, on the official site. Um, 
it's one of my favorite accounts because you see stuff like um, speed run, any percent, eight hours, 24 minutes, veggie tales, the story of Goliath or something. And you're just like, somebody loved that game enough to speed run it because speed running is hard. You have to figure out every little like every little advantage you can get every way to break everything. Like you put a ton of time into that game and I'd love seeing the games people choose because I just want to know why. Why that game? Like, it's a great game, sure. I'm sure VeggieTales Tale of Goliath or whatever is a great game, but, like, why why did that resonate so much with you that you wanted to speedrun that? Um, so that's, been, that's probably been my favorite thing so far. And just on the game development side, um, learning kind of what games can do to support speedrunners because it's not a thing that's always intuitive or like a, a core demographic of like that you have to think about when making a game. Right. So I think there's still a lot of lessons for game developers to learn about just small tweaks we can do to kind of support speedrunners. that don't compromise anything else, but makes their life easier. How can we do that? Like one of the things I loved uh, speedrunners, like the community put together like a list of not, <laughs> I'm thinking of the word demands, but that sounds like a hostage situation. It's not a list of demands, but it's like recommendations. Hey, yeah. Like here's things that would be helpful for us. And one of the things on the list was unskippable cutscenes, which sounded counterintuitive to me. Like, but that ruins your speed run thing. Right. Uh, but talking with them, no, it's because it gives them bathroom breaks because if you can't, because if you can skip it, then you have to. Right. But if you have like a five minute unskippable cutscene, that's your break that you can go run off and do stuff without compromising your score. And it's just stuff like that that I find so interesting that I never would have thought of before. I definitely wouldn't have thought of that. I, it, <laughs> um, but I mean, I just the fact that someone can finish Veggie Tales, Tales of the Goliath, and you said eight hours and 24 minutes makes... I made up the name and the time. I'm sorry to disappoint. (laughs) I don't remember what it was. (laughs) I was going to say, like, um, I was going to say, just the fact, I was was about to give you a compliment, that just the fact that you could remember that makes me realize I need to pay more attention to the speed race, speed running It's easy to remember things you make up, Bob. That's the trick. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Well, Josh, this has been great. Um... You know, let's, uh, you know, have one of these bottle logic beers or something in the near future. We're not too far apart. I I love North San Diego County, too. I love to go down there and play golf poorly. Um, But thank you so much for joining us on the community feedback loop. This was uh, an awesome uh, conversation about game design and community and um, journalism, a little bit of journalism in there as well. So thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure, Bob. Thank you. It was really fun. That's all for our show today. Thank you so much for listening to the Community Feedback Loop podcast. You can listen to previous episodes for more conversations with other amazing people we've met in the video games industry. And please subscribe to Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify to support the show. We'll catch you next week.